Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Coming up on Money Beat, historically, your 401k does not offer you the option to invest in private equity, something that traditional pension plans do. However, one firm thinks they have found a way to pair private equity and the 401k. That is what we are going to talk about next. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Money Beat Show. Paul and Stephen here in the studio. Uh, joined today, crowded, crowded studio today. Sarah Krause is here. Sarah, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're always happy to have you. And we have two gentlemen on who I'll, I'll introduce them in one moment. And the reason we have them on today is because uh, almost certainly, if you have a 401k out there, you do not have any any of that 401k money is not invested in the private equity market. Uh, and there are myriad reasons for that. And one of the reasons is not because private equity is not interested. Um, private equity is interested. Uh, the 401k market is a defined contribution market, as I'll call it. It's a pretty big market. There's a lot of assets in there. So how do you, how does private equity get in there? How do uh, 401k holders get the returns that come with private equity? Well, uh, folks at Pantheon think they have an answer, and that is who we have with us today. Uh, Kevin Albert is managing director at Pantheon. He's sitting on my right there. You can't see on my right, folks. But hi, Kevin. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me today. And your mm-hmm. partner in this product that you guys are going to start, that you're announcing, you're going to start selling, is Michael Gavisser from KKR, managing director. Michael, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. And uh, Kevin, I guess we should start with you. Uh, explain what exactly you guys are doing now and why why you think this is going to make uh, the difference. Yeah. So um, big picture, there's been a shift in this country and around the world from um, employers providing traditional pensions for their employees and retirees, which had to do with lengths of service and last three years of compensation, to moving them into what's called a defined contribution plan where the individual contributes some of its own money. The company typically makes makes a match, but then the individual is responsible for how much gets saved, what investment decisions are made, um, and whether they leave money in the account. And, you know, one of the interesting things about that transition is private equity has been left behind. And it's been left behind um, largely for mechanical reasons. The private equity industry grew up around the defined benefit pension plans, which are essentially fungible pots of money that are invested to defease those contractual obligations I talked about earlier, the how many years the person worked and, and their last three years service. Um, and th- there are some s- s- really important structural differences. Um, first of all, Investing in the typical private equity fund, which has a five-year drawdown of the capital, but you're paying fees during that period, um, not valuing the portfolio very frequently, um, not having any liquidity provisions, are three things that define benefit plans are fine with, and it's worked well for 35 years um, because the investment returns have been so handsome. But move, trying to move that asset class or that strategy into a D.C. plan is problematic because J-curves matter. If I'm in the D.C. plan... You can't explain what a J-curve is. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. That's okay. Jargon, <laughs> jargon. Uh, a J-curve is 
incurring a loss before you incur a benefit. It's, it's in paying fees before the benefits okay. start to accrue. And so a DC plan isn't a fungible pot of money. Every dollar is traceable back to an individual. So if I'm in the DC plan today and we invest in KKR's new fund or we commit to it in the DC plan, I start paying fees before they've even made investments. If you come into the DC plan in three years after they've invested the money, you will dilute me on the investments, but you haven't paid three years of fees. Mm -hmm. So you have to solve that problem, and we believe you do that by creating an evergreen fund that never start, has to start over and liquidate and start over mm -hmm. and liquidate. We've developed an ability to value, um, estimate the value of these portfolios on a daily basis. We've fairly involved algorithm and process, but with computers, it's very doable. Um, and measure the market movements in the public market and infute those into the private equity market, uh, into the private equity portfolio, as well as a lot of other things. And we have created an account where we can manage the capital calls, the liquidity in the account. Um, that DC plans currently can't. So um, that's what we have done, um, and we did that about uh, about three years ago. We took it out on the road. We uh, we met with uh, over seventy five plan sponsors who have the kind of infrastructure that could implement a single manager. It's called a custom target date fund. Um, which we believe is the best place to house a private equity investment. It's a professionally managed investment within the D.C. plan. Um, it, typically, a D.C. plan mm -hmm. is a mutual fund selection that the individual can pick their own mutual funds, or they can just default their money into the target date fund, which is managed by the plan sponsor. Um, that's where we believe private equity should go. And uh, basically, we've gotten a lot of encouragement and, um, and support from the industry in moving forward, but a, a great reluctance to be an early adopter. And what we're here to talk about today are some initiatives that we're going to announce um, today that we believe will help to break that logjam that finally will that you know will finally allow private equity into DC plans. What what are those initiatives? I guess the three initiatives that we have. Uh, well, it's 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 really um, two um, substantial initiatives. One is we are announcing a performance pricing option for our DC products, clients that wish to work with us in the DC market, uh, where we are eliminating 100% uh, the traditional management fee. Um, and we think that is going to be powerful in and of itself. But importantly, the second biggest problem after sort of the, the fee levels of the private equity industry um, is because of the way DC plans are organized and because each dollar of fee that gets paid can be traced back to an individual account holder and because it's a pool of people that's readily identified, the industry has been subjected to a really incredible amount of class action lawsuits, over 800 at this point, and a substantial number of those are fee-related, excessive fee-related lawsuits which really don't focus on net returns. They focus on just the fee level and, and anomalies that, that, that might exist. Use of mutual funds rather than use of a CIT. Um, use of the wrong share class in a mutual fund. Obviously, if there's no private equity in DC plans, there haven't been private equity lawsuits. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's an anticipation on the part of DC plan sponsors that might put private equity in, gee, I'd be the first one. That'll be an anomaly. 
private equity funds have high fees. That'll be an anomaly. Mm -hmm. And we feel that by announcing a pricing um, model that will only compensate Pantheon for a portion of the excess return over our benchmark, which is the S&P 500, it's tougher. Um, I mean, in this country, anybody can sue anybody for anything, and the loser doesn't pay, but it's, it's, it's tougher. Um, can can it's, we talk for a second about that benchmark choice? Why the S&P 500? What makes that an appropriate benchmark for private equity? We did a tremendous amount of work on alternative benchmarks, and, and also because we're managing some liquidity in this account, we're using the, an S&P 500 ETF to, to provide uh, so we don't have cash drag. Um, and the uh, S&P 500 turns out to have the highest correlation to what I would call median returns in private equity, not the, the returns we're intending to generate because we believe we can generate alpha over the median by picking the best managers. But if you look at private equity returns over a very long period of time, the S&P 500 provides the best uh, measure of median returns. And um, it, it also, anecdotally, and I know this from all my fundraising years, is, is the benchmark that's the most commonly used by corporate and state pension funds in the United States. And can you talk a little bit about how the incentive structure actually works when you collect the fees versus when an investor is able to recoup them? It sounds like you collect them first, and then if the performance doesn't deliver, it goes back, or how does that work? No, no it's, it's fair. I, I honestly believe we have the gold standard of performance fees. Um, and uh, the way it works, just, just sort of at a very high level, because it does get complex when, when, you, when you actually look at the calculations, is on a daily basis, we measure the performance we generate from the private equity component that we're managing, not the, the cash or the S&P 500 component. And we measure that against the benchmark, which is the S&P 500. And on a daily basis, if we exceed that benchmark, we take one-third of the outperformance and we move it into a reserve. The next day, if we underperform the benchmark, we move it back into the reserve. All those are just notational movements. No, no cash changes hands, although importantly, we do put that into the net asset value so that if somebody switches their investment choice, they don't overpay the accrual, the fee accrual. Um, then at the end of the quarter, when the general partners report their quarterly marks, and those are basically third-party FASB 157, you know, financial statement liability numbers that general partners take very seriously, we then true it up and calculate what our outperformance or underperformance was for the quarter. And if we outperformed, that then gets marked as the fee due to Pantheon. But importantly, we don't pay ourselves that entire fee at the end of the quarter. We only pay ourselves one-eighth of that fee, and seven-eighths of it get paid over the next seven quarters. Mm -hmm. And the reason we do that is we always want to have money in that reserve account. So if on the next day in the next quarter we underperform, there's money in the reserve to put back. Mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's take a quick break because we're going to run a, a little ad for the, for the people at home. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and we will be back with more. Kevin Alpert from Pantheon and Michael Gavisser from KKR. Rapid expansion? We're ready. Worker shortage? We're good. Anything can change the world of work. A celebrity buys the company. Depends on who it is. But relax, we've got ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. I'm Veronica Dagger. Do you want to know how the rich invest, spend, and protect their money? 
Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Money Beat. Paul and Steve here in the studio. And for more great podcasts, everyone out there, if you like, like what you're hearing from us, if you enjoy learning things from the Wall Street Journal, we enjoy bringing them to you. We have great podcasts at wsj.com slash podcasts. We are on Twitter. We're at WSJ Podcasts. And you can subscribe. We are on iHeartRadio, Amazon Echo, Spotify, Google Play Music app. Uh, what, what did I miss? iTunes and Stitcher. We're basically anywhere where you could get a podcast, you can find us. We are in the studio today talking to Kevin Alpert from Pantheon and Michael Gavisser from KKR. And we're talking about, uh, you know, an effort on behalf of Pantheon to take some of their, their investment products and get into the defined contribution market, the 401k market. And, uh, you know, you've been explaining sort of the structure that this fund Kevin and and I want to get both of you guys in on this. I, you know, I'm I'm curious why go after this market? I mean, why not just say, "Ah, you know what? This is not for us. P- private equity is not something that should, you know, it's it's like uh, you know, hey, you you, you put your uh, what is it? you put your chocolate in my peanut butter. No, you put you know, like you remember that old joke. <laughs> so, you know, like why why try to hit why try to crack this nut? Well, let me say something and then I'd like Mike, to address why KKR is in the room with us here, because I think that's a really important point, and it solves another big problem and a concern plan sponsors had when we talked to them a year ago. Why this is a good idea, I think, I think there are two bullet points. The first bullet point is by not having private equity in D.C. plans, D.C. plans are underperforming defined benefit pension plans by something like 80 basis points a year for a long period of time. And over the course of an individual's savings in their D.C. plan, and the average savings is about $6,400 a year, according to Vanguard, a Vanguard study, which sounds low. A lot of people, I think, put a lot more in, you know, ten or $15,000. The amount of retirement savings that people are leaving on the table is anywhere from sort of $150,000 to $300,000 over the course of a career. That's that's really important in a, in a country where almost everybody acknowledges there's an impending retirement crisis. The second reason is, um, if you think about it, if you look at the statistics, and there was an, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, just two weeks ago, the public float in this country has gone from something like 9,100 9, companies to about 55,700 mm-hmm. companies. Um, uh, because the private market has subsumed those companies, which means there's an awful lot of corporate America that you aren't exposed to anymore in your D.C. plan or in mm. your uh, your index fund. And if you look at the higher growth companies, the tech companies, there were only about, I think there were only 26 IPOs last year for four-point-some billion dollars. They were 809 financings, private financings of tech companies for $19 billion. That's a lot of, that's a lot of fast-growing corporate yeah. equity that's not in D.C. plans and it's not in index funds. So I think those are the reasons private equity can do the same thing for D.C. savers that it's done for D.B. pensions. And, and 
all it is is mechanical things and this overhang of lawsuits that has chilled the innovation in the industry. Well, isn't it part of this also about adding more risk to plans than what you would experience in traditional stocks and bonds? Because I know folks have been trying to get hedge funds and private equity into target date funds or into D.C. plans for quite some time. But beyond the mechanical challenges, it's also the added risk that plan sponsors are aware of. That's a, that's a very good point. And in fact, we, we actually did a 20-year TDF study where we took the Fidelity Freedom Funds and on a prospective basis, we incorporated as much private equity as we can incorporate without increasing the risk. Um, and you might say, how can you do that? Well, you're taking the money away from public money managers who do have risk. And so we did that. It ends up being about 7.4%. So you can import, Im- impose 7.4% of private equity in a, in a target date fund um, that has a glide path that looks something like f- the Fidelity Freedom Fund. And it increases the earnings by, I think it's 187 or $190,000 over the course of, of that person's um, career. But I do want to get to the third challenge that we, we tackled, and that is the, the challenge of matching capital inflows and investments, which is problematic in the D.C. marketplace. In the D.B. marketplace, they're able to fund capital calls. So they're able to sign a contract and fund capital calls as private equity firms do a deal. In the D.C. marketplace, D.C. plans aren't configured to do capital calls. What they want to do, if they decide to do private equity, is give it all to you up front. And the first time we went around, we talked about using the secondary market to put that money to work quickly. But while the secondary market is big and robust in the private equity industry, it's about $40 billion last year, that doesn't compare to the public market. No, no. And so one of the things we, we went out to tackle this time, and um, we're enlisting partners, KKR being the first and most notable, to understand this need and, and the importance of moving PE into D.C., is to get some major firms involved in helping us um, on a standby basis be ready to invest the capital. When we Private could. equity market makers? Effectively, yeah. IPO issuers or whatever you want to call it. I, let's let Mike characterize it, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I think if you, you know, the, the simplistic thing is if you look at defined benefit and defined contribution, at the end of the day, these are people who have a long time horizon. They want to retire and they want return. And the best returning asset class that you really need a long time horizon for is private equity. And so our view at KKR is if we can find a solution for people that can give them that higher return – um, that's really interesting. But to Kevin's point, the structural stuff in the past of doing it ourselves has really been hard to come by, if not impossible. And I think through this relationship with Pantheon, what we can do is, you know, we've got lots of different funds and different activities we have going on and financings at KKR, and we can leverage all those resources and provide a solution that helps meet the time frame whereby, you know, Pantheon calls us up and says, hey, we'd like to invest X amount of dollars over this period of time. You know, as one firm, we're going to be able to be part of that solution. As many firms join, you're effectively going to aggregate a bunch of people in who can help, um, you know, mitigate the challenges of, you know, showing up and with dollars and wanting investments. Now, it's not 
like the public markets where someone says we're going to buy GE and you execute in the next hour or next 10 minutes. But the reality is with notice and with transparency on both sides, you can start to say, oh, well, we've got this investment opportunity. Would you like to be involved in? We've got a co-investment. We've got a fundraise closing. And the more firms you have involved and the bigger the firms are where they've got multiple strategies, the more flexibility you'll have. And, and importantly, we're not sort of delegating investment authority or responsibility to any of the, any of our partners. We will still underwrite each one of these investments, but enables us to sort of supercharge our deal flow when we get these unpredictable spikes of capital, which is something we haven't had to deal with in 35 years because everybody's been happy to just respond to capital calls. So you guys have been trying to figure this out for, what, three years now? Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and there's zero money from defined contributions, essentially, in you know, private equity investments. Do you guys face a marketing challenge to get the people in 401k to put their money um, into private equity? Honestly, um, I mean, I've been, again, I've been fundraising for private equity firms and financial products for over 30 years now. Hate to say that, but it's true. And I, um, I am absolutely certain if people didn't believe that they were going to be, if they were the first that they'd get sued, that this would be done already. Um, we have a pipeline from those 75 meetings we've done. We have people that are interested. They've told me they're interested. But, I mean, put yourself in their position. If, if there's almost a certain lawsuit that you're going to get hit with, if you do this, you're just, you know, your boss isn't going to like that. You know, whoever you are and whoever your mm-hmm. boss is, I can tell you that generically. <laughs> but we both know from our own work and our with individual investors that there's huge demand on the part of individual investors for private equity. And individual investors are, you know, one of the larger and certainly the fastest growing segment in the private equity space. But, you know, the biggest part of most individual investors' money is in their retirement funds because that's where they set aside right. their course, savings. Yeah. And that part, unless they're in a pension fund that offers it, they don't have access to. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about how do we collectively come together to, you know, as an industry to deliver that solution. Yeah. All right. Well, look, uh, we're going to have to leave it there because we have a hard out in a couple of minutes. We've got to make way in the studio for another person to come in. Uh, Kevin, Michael, I want to thank you both for coming in today. Thank sure. you very much. Are you happy? Appreciate it. You're happy? Uh, yeah. Well, look, it's it's not an option in my 401k yet, but... Uh, <laughs> Don't you know, hold your I'm, breath, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see. So, But but uh, I'm happy with the podcast, so okay. thanks for I'm coming. I'm sure if you introduce it. Kevin to the right people, he can... He can, he can, we can uh, uh, Michael, I don't have that kind of juice. Uh, <laughs> All right. Everyone, thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.